cats, you start fighting, I'm going to start punching. <laughs> okay, that's the start of the podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it should be. Hey, welcome to the Board on the Dawn podcast. This is uh, episode two. Uh, this is Danny, slightly live here, and uh, I'm joined by two other dudes. Uh, introduce yourselves, please. I'm David Fuchs, known by the same name on HBO. And I'm Isaac. I go by Postmortem. Okay, guys, uh, we are here today to talk about a certain Hill novel that was published recently, Glasslands by one Karen Travis. We'll have a chance to read it, I'd hope. So let's get this ball started. Guys, this is the uh, the first post-Halo 3 chunk of fiction. We've had uh, a couple of entries in, in uh, Halo Evolutions, the uh, mini-stories, but this is the first serious chunk of post-Halo 3 fiction that we've had. What did you guys, uh, what did you guys think? We've waited a few years for this. Did it live up to your expectations? I think in some ways it did very much live up to my expectations and in other ways it didn't. I think as a character story, it was exactly what Halo's been needing for a while. You know, just a real full-on dive into these characters, who they are, how they interact with each other, and, and how that affects the universe. But then on the on the other end, I felt like it tackled some of the larger issues a little less seriously than other books have in the past. What larger issues? The resurgence of the Civil War... Uh, Oni's place in the galaxy going forward, what's happening with the elites, the return of the Dyson Sphere, or not technically Dyson Sphere, but the Shield World. I just felt like it left too many things hanging. It promised a lot of resolutions, maybe, but then didn't have quite as much. What were you expecting from it? Were you expecting a sequel, a direct sequel from, say, Ghost of Onyx? Because I know a lot of people got ex- excited. There was some confusion whenever they originally announced the book. It was a Ghost of Onyx sequel. They're continuing on the story. And the 343 had clarified what was in a direct sequel. Do you think that you had expectations about what they were going to do with the Ghost of Onyx, with the situation there? Do you think that's part of the reason why you felt let down? I tried not to have too many expectations along those lines. Once it started... You know, when I read the first two chapters and it actually started exploring Halsey and the survivors left on the on the shield world, I guess that brought my expectations back up. And I think like everyone else, I was really expecting the whole storyline taking place on the shield world to be a longer ordeal. And it, it was kind of closed off and, and finished rather quickly. Yeah, I mean, I think I read the book and I liked it throughout. I was enjoying reading it, but I definitely see I see where people were upset because they were kind of just because of the nature of the story, you went into it expecting certain things and that we didn't, especially I think the fact that it takes place, it's a post-Halo 3 story, but actually a whole lot of it takes place during Halo 3. Yeah. So there's a lot, just because I guess this is an issue with how you market it or whatever, it didn't it's telling a different story than I think lots of people expected. Like we were saying before we started recording that it's a really tranquil book. I mean, there's lots of conflict, but it's not the guns blazing people exploding 20 pages of Nyland telling us about how you vented the starboard interlock and <laughs> launched the Shivas at the covenant <laughs> carrier in a slip space trajectory or something. I mean, it's, it's a definitely a different book in that respect and like Isaac was saying 
it's a lot more character driven. And I think it's actually sort of, to me, it's really the spiritual successor to Contact Harvest in that it's a lot more about a few characters and it's a sort of relatively smaller scale perspective than what we usually see. You had to invoke Contact Harvest. That's my that's my favorite piece of Halo faction to date. And um, to invoke it, oof, you're really you're tugging at me to to reply back there. But, um, no, I have to I have to actually agree with you. I do I do like smaller focus of it. I think it works in its favor for most of it. Uh, for most of the novel, uh, there's some. I think there are some areas like uh, like Isaac was saying that probably would have deserved more attention like the the whole issue uh concerning the the ghost of onyx scenario inside the uh dyson shell as it were i think like that that did the conclusion that did feel rather abrupt it was like here we go bang finish done let's go and then you're left you're left with a big humongous brown sphere the size of uh, a million times the size of Earth, literally hanging in space. As a consequence of what happens, there we go. This thing's there. There we go. I don't know. It, yeah. it seemed a bit out of place. It's partly just narrative-wise. If the opening scene of Glasslands was a big battle and Halsey and the Spartans get into the Shield world, and then the rest of the book proceeds as normally. I don't think people would have that much of an issue like, oh, well, we should have spent more time in the S.H.I.E.L.D. world, but it was the climax of Ghost of Onyx, and so it's just a natural consequence that people kind of expected more to happen once we were in there. And I guess I can understand why they wanted to sort of speed things along. I think the issue for me was just that the time dilation made it that they were only in there for days? basically, while everything else was going on. And that just seemed like a sort of sad part, that we didn't get to have Halsey and the characters in there sort of interact more on their own before everything sort of went back to the real world. Yeah, I guess that's one of my biggest disappointments, actually, is I'm a huge fan of survival stories. I mean, I, I love reading about real accounts of people who get crashed in the mountains or have to survive drifting on the ocean. Those sort of things just thrill me like nothing else. So when, you know, at the end of Ghosts of Onyx, they found themselves trapped on the on the shield world. I was like, yes, this is going to be finally a chance to see something cool like that set 500 years in the future in a universe I'm familiar with and love. And I was really expecting a lot of focus on on how they were going to survive on there. By eating the Spartan threes. <laughs> yeah, they're the least important ones. It doesn't matter. Mendez gotta eat. <laughs> it's um, kind of funny, I think, that um, in future we'll really look back at Glasslands and maybe draw some parallels to Halo 4. Because we, from what we, mm-hmm. what we think is going to happen in Halo 4 with the Chief going into this this big structure that he's going into and we've seen the, the pretty artwork for all these amazing looking landscapes. I think we might be able to see some parallels in the future between the uh, the team uh, in the Glasslands and the Dyson Shell and, and the Master Chief and his adventures in Halo 4. Maybe maybe not exactly the same but I think there will definitely be something there and maybe that's what they were hinting at in Glasslands that um, there's, there's going to be 
maybe a more active version of what what was hinted at um, in uh, in that Forerunner facility. It was even like they they had at the very end of the novel. Well, I think we're all we're happy to talk about spoilers here. I, I should put a disclaimer at the start about spoilers, but uh, at this point we're we're going straight in there. One of the things at the end of the novel is the discovery of a hangar full of uh, Forerunner ships. Little things like that. It was all. It's it's completely sort of devoid of activity, devoid of life. Like the there's a a hospital that they they go into all these different um, little hubs and it's completely dead. Maybe that's the sort of thing we'll see in Halo Four. Just not dead, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I think that was nice of them to set up. Maybe give us some expectations of what what a chief will encounter in a way. Maybe. But you're not implying that the structure in the Halo 4 trailer is a shield world, are you? I, oof, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to go there. Um, actually, well, lay, we'll lay it out here, what, what, at least what I, where I'm coming from in, in the comparisons, I think. Comparing them and saying, why well, they're exactly the same thing, I think that's too easy and too lazy. It's kind of too obvious, so maybe it may be a little, little bit of a red herring. But from the descriptions and glass lines off the uh, the Dyson's world, well, Trevelyan is that not what was end up they, they call the facility. Trevelyan, yeah, I think it's Trevelyan? pronounced Trevelyan. Yep. A trillion. Who cares? <laughs> well, one of the descriptions is that it's it's dull. It's not reflective because there's no no more lights going on on the outside, and it, it was hard to you see it against the blackness of space, and it's sort of a little brownish color and one of the things that i distinctly recall from the halo 3 legendary and of course from the halo r previews that we've seen halo 4 r previews that we've seen is that the sphere the structure the big ball of forerunner mystery that the chief's hurling himself towards that's lit up like a christmas tree well but that's because lit up stuff are pretty (laughs) lit up stuff are pretty (laughs) but try not to think of it from that point we try to look at it from a a fictional perspective here because um we're given this description of uh, Trev Trilly 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 Bad, and it was dull. It was lights are off, and if you want to make a direct comparison, lights are on in the other place, and they make clear to say, well, this place is full of activity. Maybe it's not as clear as that, but mm-hmm. the way I'm seeing, it, that's lights off. Chief's going to the place where the lights are on. That's an interesting comparison. <laughs> it's not that simple, but I just think it could be. You know, I never really thought about it like that, but there's a cool. Yeah, there's a cool parallel between the two, I guess. There is also the difference of the size of the objects, though. I, I got the impression that the object Chief was going towards was a lot smaller. Well, then again, it could be one of those Star Wars scenarios where it's no moon. It's a shield world. <laughs> it was actually the size of a solar system. You just to couldn't be fair, tell. Well, Trevlin was about the size of Earth's orbit, which is, what, fracking huge. It's two AU across... There's one AU to the Earth to the Sun. That is really, really huge. Like, literally, it's, I think it swallow the Earth and the Moon and wouldn't even burp on the thing. It's, it's, it's literally massive. And speaking of swallowing solar bodies, didn't they? They made a huge point of questioning what was going to happen to the Sun in that system, and then never answered that question. It's all to do with how the Forerunners. Um, how their technology uh, interacts and manipulates gravity, I assume they would have... Something that size has to be farting massively heavy. It's going to make a real dent in the gravity well of wherever it's appearing. So I'm sure whatever 
Forerunner magically used, they would have considered re-entry back to the normal space from wacky space where they were. So I'm pretty sure there was some kind of Forerunner explanation a little, a little squeeze out. But yeah, they did drop that. I thought, well, yeah, that's that's a good point. They, they brought it up themselves in novel and though it's way to bring it up and didn't even give a one single line explanation. Yeah. Another thing another thing that wasn't given explanation was uh, what happened to the Sentinels. Well, we were talking about the Sentinels on on the installation. Yeah. Uh, the Sentinels that composed the surface of Onyx. Did they not go boom? Well, in the end of Ghosts of Onyx, they had formed a defensive perimeter around the uh, the slip space core rift, whatever you want to call it. And then in in Glasslands, they're not there. Also, be a massive debris field <laughs> for all the things on the surface of Onyx, all the soil, all the billions of metric tons of yeah. crap. Should still be floating about there, creating a hazard, but that's swept under the carpet. That's just saying. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is just, you know, a change in authors. Are you implying Karen Travis simply forgot about a couple of trillion sentinels? Did she read the Ghost of Onyx? She didn't read any of the Halo books. She specifically said that. She would been ha- she was handed all the pertinent information, all the all the information on Onyx, all the events that have happened. All statistics, numbers, and people. So I'm pretty sure it's. Yeah, I'm not pretty sure on anything actually. <laughs> I don't have a clue. Well, I don't. I don't know. I think just as an aside, it's kind of funny that three four three industries picked Karen Travis, who says she doesn't want to be a fan of what she writes, and meanwhile three forty three is the studio that prides itself on being total Halo fans. It's it's an interesting <laughs> approach. She says she doesn't want to be a fan, so she doesn't. She hasn't played through the Halo games prepare, prep, to prepare herself to write the the book. So she didn't. That's that's what she she clearly stated that. And um, I believe her. She's a middle aged housewife. I can't really picture her sitting down playing through Halo for a couple of hours. So I get that. What I don't really get though is that she likes and she's really good at uh, hammering home the the feel of the grunt on the ground, uh, the the average soldier. She's really good at, at uh, bringing that to life. Um, you really, you get a sense that she knows what she's talking about. And I've noticed that with her, her Gears of War books as well. And uh, some of her Star Wars uh, material. That, that's, she's, whatever, whatever she writes, she always happens to be writing that particular character in some form or fashion. <clears throat> So, well, she may not be a Halo fan um, going into it, but you can tell she's a really big supporter of the average soldier. Mm-hmm. Giving a real human perspective. One of the things that I want to talk about, I think uh, it's one of the biggest issues coming from Glasslands. I know everyone who's read Glasslands has an opinion on this. I have a very staunch opinion on this. I can't say Glasslands changed my opinion. It more than sort of cemented it and even sort of made me think on things a little bit. I'm talking about Halsey as a as a human being. And how Halsey is a piece of shit as a human being. I'll go dress it up and say, oh blah blah this and wrap it up in some kind of intellectual package and throw it out there. But I just want to say 
she's a piece of shit. You know what I'm talking about there. We know we know about this whole moral argument that the novel presents to us, and we we know for a fact that it lays it on thick on Halsey. All the other books, she's treated as a yeah. god, goddess of. Oh, she saved people. She saved humanity. She's the mother of the Spartans. She's a great science thinker. She's she's a genius. She's she's one of the greatest human beings to ever walk the earth. And this novel sort of rams on. No, she's a piece of shit. She's a child abducting torturer that has inflicted misery on 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 people for no reason other than her own callous curiosity. I think that the issue lots of people had wasn't necessarily that everyone was hammering home that Halsey's a bad person, but more not that lots of the characters think badly of her because there's perfectly good reasons, but that there is a legitimate claim to be made that Travis thinks that she's an evil person. And I mean, we know this. She talked about it on a Spark cast, and it kind of leaks into her telling. So it's not just the characters, but just how the story is framed really kind of turns into a Halsey is bad fest. So do you, do you, do you, are, mm-hmm. you, are you saying then that um, the novel paints Halsey this way because the author is biased? Kind of. I mean, it, it's kind of hard to say without seeing the rest. I mean, maybe it'll in Glasslands 2, Glass Harder or something, we'll get... Um, <laughs> We'll get a little more. Well, Glasslands is originally it was pitched as UNSC UNSC trilogy book one, which implies there's going to be two more, mm. and also yeah. implies it'll be Karen Travis writing them. So I think it would be nice if that we got a little more, and I think that she's set up events. There's a chance that we'll get a little more of the the issues of whether it's right or not, and even if she was a horrible person, which she is. Is there a way moving forward? I think people are looking for a certain amount of redemption. And I mean, that's sort of what Perengovsky seems to be doing against all pragmatic reasons for revealing the Spartan program and all that stuff. I mean, it's not a smart political move. But she, she did that to trash Halsey. Like, Halsey officially is dead. As a, as a as the memorial envoy, it, she's officially classified as dead. That's how you only really scoop her away and have her work on more secret stuff. I think the, the public hearings where Parangovsky was on public record basically admitting to her role in it, I think that was her way of trashing Halsey's reputation and work, her career, that she'll not be remembered as, as his mother of the Spartan project that helps save humanity on the brink of extinction. She'll be remembered as this child-abducting, evil scientist. And I think that was a personal thing that Parangoski did, but I think that, that, that was her goal. It was to trash her memory, as it were, publicly. But there's a possibility it wasn't a personal thing also. I don't know. Later on in the, in the novel, whenever Parangoski interviews Halsey, it was sort of a, a showdown that, we're, that we were leading up to because she had it out for Halsey. She made that really clear. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the interview was supposed to be the showdown. And I, I, thought, I thought it was kind of weird because Parangoski kind of lent on um, Halsey in one particular area, and that was the Flash clones of the, of, the, of the Spartan children. She was really, really sort of personal and angry with her for this one specific thing that she did. And as far as we know, is that Halsey somehow tricked Parangoski and didn't tell her about these Flash clones. 
So whenever she found out, she was so, so bitter and angry about it. Years later, she would she would go out of her way to try and get her back for it. I don't know. That was It felt kind of weird. I think there's, there might be something else there about why Parangoski was particularly angry, specifically about the Flash killing children. Well, isn't it the, the scuttlebutt that um, Osman is her kid or whatever? That was, that's been a theory that's floated out. Yeah, that's definitely been tossed around a lot. I think that's, that's, one, of the, I think that's one of the main pillars of that theory, is because, because of her strong reaction towards the treatment of the Spartan kids. That's, I think that's one of the, one of the pillars there to that Osman is, is related to her sort of thing. And also, it just, I don't think, there are some cases that could be made for her revealing the Spartan program and all that stuff as a political ploy, but I think it kind of has to boil down to something personal, because as people on the forums mentioned, revealing that the UNC captured and replaced children to raise super soldiers to fight against humans originally, that's going to be a big, hey, let's give the rebellion more ammo to start up again afterwards. So that just seems not a pragmatic thing for the director of naval intelligence to do at all, unless you have a serious personal compromise. But she was setting up, uh, Osmond, she was setting, setting her up the entire time to be her replacement. She was out of her way to pull the strings and manipulate, sort of facilitate orderly transition, as it were. So you think she wouldn't have went out of her way then to sort of give her next little protege uh, a bag full of crap to eat? You know what I mean? She would have. I don't think that's. I don't think that's true because you know what I mean. She wouldn't have made the situation worse for her next in line to follow up on. If her next in line was her chosen protege, that she went out of her way to help out. You know that doesn't doesn't gel. Mm-hmm. I think in the end it's going to be a a mix between personal motivation and political motivation. And, and manipulation, like like you were saying about Halsey, Perengoski might have wanted to destroy her reputation personally, but she also might have benefited from it by creating such a hostile society for Halsey to return to, to the point where Halsey wouldn't want to go back to it, and, sh- and would remain, as we found out, at Installation 03, working on whatever Oni has her working on. I think it's pretty clear the, the whole series of events around... Lastland is about Halsey. For you guys, like I said, my opinion about Halsey and what happened didn't change. I I always thought she was a bit. People were overlooking things about her because of the situation. The history is is written by the winners, and if I, I, the way I was seeing uh, the Halo universe going was that because humanity survived, it was thanks to her. They would have overlooked how she went about it. Mm-hmm. Seeing that take a, a complete 180 from what I expected was, was kind of nice. But what do you guys think? Did Glasslands change your opinion of Halsey? Did, did you see her in this light before Glasslands? Did you think about her in this way much before Glasslands? And has Glasslands changed your opinion or convinced you on a, di- a different different slant? You know, it, it, it has for me, definitely. Like, I... I was one of the ones who was focusing more on the positive side of Halsey than the negative side. And additionally, I just have to say that Halsey is probably my favorite character in the Halo universe, expanded fiction or in-game fiction. 
And that's partially because I tend to latch on to scientist characters because they're usually exploring the aspects of the universe that I find the most fascinating. But beyond that, she's also one of the most troubled characters. I find troubled characters fascinating as well. Well, she's also one of the most fleshed out characters. Like, no, I don't think any other characters has been given that much attention. We don't really just know what the other characters are thinking half as much as we've done with Halsey through the previous books. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the only other time we've gotten into a character's head that much was either Born Stellar or, I guess, John in The Flood. But yeah, I uh, it, it definitely made me look at her more from the perspective of the general view that society was going to have of her and which was expressed pretty clearly in the book. I, I don't know, it's weird because both views seem realistic. The savior of humanity and this horribly evil person doing things for personal gain and both seem to apply to her and that's another interesting thing about her characters she's got so many different aspects to her that i just love and like i said both fit yeah i mean i think the thing that a lot of people who are getting upset about halsey's demonization is the word that was thrown out a lot it's it's kind of hard for readers because we've we spent a lot more time with halsey and also, we know how much the Spartans really did. I mean, even even with the Spartan Three program being public, the populace at large, and even a lot of the military, don't understand that the Spartans saved humanity and saved the universe. And it's just one of those things where what price is worth throwing away these kids' lives and turning them into soldiers? I think that the ultimate sacrifice... And I'm sorry, kids, but we got to world to save and covenant to kill it seems like a fair trade but that doesn't make her any less horrible person and i guess i never really saw her as that great a person especially with i think it might have just been an issue i had with first strike where she kind of gives this really odd moral choice to the master chief about johnson's flood immunity and just how she ran off that always rubbed me as a kind of a weird knee-jerk reaction to i've done some bad things but i know other people disagree with that so i don't i think it didn't change much but it was nice to see it actually acknowledged in a more serious setting Mm -hmm. well what's interesting is what's going to happen to halsey in the future do you guys think that she should be punished for what she's done or do you think that she should get some sort of redemption she's been told Okay, you're dead. The world thinks you're dead. We've tarnished your reputation, tarnished your life's work. No one cares about you. Everyone that might have cared about you hates you. Your Spartans are now going to be told of a horrible person you are, what you've done to them. And uh, here, we'll lock you away inside this little, what, was it an installation? Oh, actually, where is it? It's some little, I thought it was very clearly saying it was a, a research station at a Halo ring, but. But yeah, they, they basically just tucked her away from from sight, tar- trashed her life's work, and they're just going to put her to task on some some research because that's the only thing she's good for. I think that she's been that is her punishment. That's her sentence now. They work on whatever only tell her to work mm-hmm. on. And not only that, but all the personal anguish that she's put herself through. I mean. Yeah, she may have made some of these decisions based on selfish motivations, but she also had to suffer for that mentally, sometimes physically, uh, without any intervention from any external sources. 
it's it's one of those things where all right, if you just gave it to me on in the real world in the news, horrible human experimenting scientist gets locked up forever. I mean, I'm 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 okay with that, but as a character and wanting something from the story, I would like to see. I mean, redemption is always usually a stronger story than just bad person gets what they deserve. You think then what can she do to be redeemed? She's she's already contributed to the, the Spartans, Spartan armor, the technology there. She's she helped find Trevlin, the the new super 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 base of the UNSC in Oni. She's progressed forerunner technology understanding. She's done pretty much everything that she could have done. You know what I mean? She's already contributed the most to any singular person. Except run a daycare. Yeah. That's going to be her penance. <laughs> I, I, I don't really see how she can be redeemed at this point. What, what actions could she take? What work could she do? Well, make a bigger gun? Make a better version of the armor? Make what, what, what is there left for her to do? I think it, it's not something like that. It's more of a personal redemption than anything else. I think... She has to come to terms with things more than other people having to come to terms with what she did. I think that's going to be the ultimate redemption. And then obviously having the galaxy let her slide, not execute her at, when she's finished working on whatever well, I, he's got I her working on. I think Oni will work her to the bone. She'll be well, working she's... up until she's in the life support, and even then they'll get her to push buttons to do more work. <laughs> I gotta tell you, the part of the book that actually had me the most like on the edge of my seat was when Halsey was exiting the Forerunner Shield World. I was because I'm so attached to her character. I was just there was so much anticipation as to how she was gonna get around that that life sentence kind of deal. You thought she was going to find some way to talk her way out of it, or I, you know, I had no expectations. I think it, it just ended up with being another, you know, lost style cliffhanger. So what then? So we don't really we don't really know then what she's gonna do in the future. We don't really have any expectations for her then. Like you personally want to see a, a redemption, maybe maybe not some kind of great actor and discovery or or push maybe just a personal redemption. What about you, David? Do you what do you see for Hal Halsey's future after Glasslands? Well, the cynic in me is saying well she's got to stick around until at least what 2389 because that's when she gives the eulogy to noble six um so she's obviously in a position to give a eulogy to noble six unless she's writing it on like the walls of her padded cell at a oni funny farm i mean i think that bungie intended for her character to have some life and i think that i think isaac's probably on point where if the personal change isn't there, then whatever good she can do by saving the universe again isn't necessarily going to mean as much until she comes to terms. Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter if she saves everybody again as long as she feels bad about the bad things she's done. <laughs> Not quite as simple as that. You know, you think most people get, get out of jail free care for saving humanity once, generally speaking. Yeah, but that get out of jail free card got kind of 
it's kind of interesting because she did so many bad things and then so many good things came about as a result of that that she's almost at this neutral point right <laughs> her, now. Even her 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 latest escapades, let's just say, of taking the Spartans and trying to bugger off during the war, that somehow <laughs> ended up awesome for everybody because they discovered the, the, the Forerunner installation, which is the greatest and most hugest, awesomest thingest everest. And all the Forerunner tech... Like, like, she can't do anything. Anything she does, it ends up humanity benefit. And she could beat a child to death, and I guarantee you, we'll find some brilliant, miraculous cure for something out of it. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's like she said in uh, what was it? The package. Maybe John's luck is starting to rub off on her. Wait, 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 wait. So, wait, Danny, you're saying that you would rather have the the Dyson Shield world over a Halo? I mean, I, I don't know. I would take Installation 05. Aside from the pest problem, I would take the <laughs> okay, Halo what, over. <laughs> what would make you brown yourself most? A Halo or a big, giant, poo-colored sphere the size of a solar system? 2AU in diameter? I mean, wh- where can you park that? It's, it's 2AU. <laughs> I know, it could be a super weapon. It's... It makes the Death Star seem like a puddle. It's it's huge. It has to be able to blow something up. Yeah, I guarantee that thing could park near Earth and destroy Earth by its gravity alone. There you go. It's a super weapon. Yeah, a gravitational super weapon. I just sit near something and it explodes. I don't know. All 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 only has to do is send that. Literally send it to where they want something destroyed, and it'll be click gone. They just need to find a way of making it sort of go forward a bit, some kind of propulsion engine for <laughs> the thing the size of a solar system. It's funny because that actually the um, the installation itself, I'm more serious now here. The installation itself really is the hugest thing ever. Yeah, it's bigger than the Argus, bigger than any other Forerunner anything we've ever seen. And we, the the fact is now we have one. It was a little toy for us now. Only our have a good we go at it as are we pet thing? We have a super huge massive ball of whatever. What are we gonna do with it? What the like, like, I, I thought was really strange with going into Halo Four and we have the chief going into this other mysterious sphere and like what we we already have one of those. You know, we we have one already. Why do we need two? I'm interested in seeing how they keep because you don't want your heroes to be too powerful. And so it's going to be interesting how they level the playing field now that we are essentially better off than any individual member of the Covenant. To be fair, like one thing I think they did they did with Reach is that they added Reach's uh, Reach introduced the fact that we were studying Forerunner tech on Reach for a considerable amount of time. It was a crashed Forerunner ship and some other Forerunner stuff there. Well, a big, huge crash Forerunner ship and. All different technologies, and we were studying that apparently, and they added that into the wider fiction, so that with Halo Four and um, yeah, with Halo Four, we have the point now where we've been studying Forerunner tech for such a long time, we're able to build it into insert chip name here, the Infinity. Well, they even say, I think, yeah, I think they even say, Parangovsky even says that it's equipped with the latest Forerunner upgrades, which suggests that even if they haven't deployed them, they've certainly been testing that sort of tech before. 
Oh, for sure, for sure. Like the the shielding technology on the on the Spartans, so that was Forerunner. Well, that was Covenant tech, and they really, I'm I'm sure they, they, we haven't had a human ship with that shielding technology. And because we know the Forerunners are better than the Covenant's cheap Chinese knockoffs of technology, like we're pretty, I'm pretty sure like the the Infinity will have that sort of level, if not better, technology. Mm-hmm. I was actually trying to think. We'd have, would we have plasma technology on the ship? Would we have shielding? Like, what, what, what does foreigner tech mean for a, for a human ship? Well, forget about the ships. What does it mean for Halo 4? What kind of cool weapons are we going to get to use? <laughs> well, technically, we'll probably get nothing. Okay, we, we could get nothing because the, sh- uh, the chief was on the floor on the dawn, our website's namesake, hello. And uh, that had, like, Bog standard stuff, the bog standard human military stuff on it. So technically, they could introduce no new tech. It'd be all just shotguns and assault rifles to the end of the game. But but which pistol are was on the forward enough to dawn? That's the question. <laughs> which pistol? We get that grenade launcher pistol. I can. I want to see the opening cutscene where Master Chief opens up a locker and like, damn it! All there are in here are magnums. That, that Halo 4 trailer, it looks like a flare gun. It looks like a big, gigantic projectile that you would shoot up in the air to let people know that you're there. But I can't imagine a flare gun being in Halo. It would be the most useless thing ever. Look at me. I can make a shiny light appear. It's, it's not really a weapon, so... It's, it it would be Caboose's weapon of choice for a red versus blue reference. Like, hey guys, you can tell exactly where I am. <laughs> anyway, glass lines, yep. Um. <laughs> so what did you guys this is a, another kind of big issue with Glasslands or a big question that people had going into it what did you think about how Travis portrayed the elite society well before we go there dude I, that's actually a brilliant topic we should probably finish up about the Molnir armor uh, it was mentioned in the in the novel that we first technically our first glimpse at the new Molnir uh, is in Glasslands and we're told that the new manufacturer that's lighter, but it's still green. It still has the gold visor. And we're told about the uh, the new Spartans. Yeah. New Spartan project as well. So, what actually, what do you guys think? The Spartan 4 project uh, was based on the backlash about Parangovsky's revenge on Halsey. That the, the Spartan 4s are essentially ODSTs with rumble drugs, safer versions of rumble drugs to enhance them to use more watered down armor is is that is that what spartan fours are because that's that's the impression i got yeah yep. yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yep yeah, yep yeah, you're right yep yeah, next the impression i got was that the spartan four is actually more along the lines of uh introducing the technology kind of pioneered through the spartan program in mark two and mark three introducing that into the Standard military. Like, yeah, like ODSTs would have like better armor than the regular Joe Army guy. So the the ODSTs of the future. So like, will they be Spartan fours? ODSTs will be Spartans essentially, just sort of crappier Spartans, like worse than Spartan threes. I don't think the comparison with ODSTs really holds up that well. At least the the way that I interpreted it. Who else would get a top the range armor if they're if they're doling out these? Spartan fours, who are the prime candidates to be the Spartan? They have to be adults. 
has to be conscripted. They have to be experienced. Yeah, I guess. I really just got the impression that the Spartan 4 program, I guess, if we're calling it that, was more about building an army of Spartans. Not not like the size of the Spartan 3 population, but larger. Like this, well, not the entire UNSC, but a, a large percentage of it. Who's available right now for conversion? ODSTs. They're all sitting around with their hands in theirs, doing nothing. Give them some shiny new armor that'll shut them up for a couple of years. They're all Spartans now. They're all heroes. Yay! But they could also be making the technology so accessible that average Marines could use it as well. I mean, we saw that in uh, the prototype prototype from Halo Legends. The thing is, I don't think the Spartan 4s will be in any way comparable to the Spartan 2s or 3s. Um... One thing, mm-hmm. like the armor, they always made a big deal through all the Halo fiction about the Molinear armor being so incompatible with the regular human anatomy that it would smush you from the inside for for using it. Right, yeah. you have to you be have to, to have use Your it. body has to be able to withstand the pressures and the strength of the suit to be able to use it. Yeah, and I think that's that's what I was trying, that's the point I was trying to make with Prototype is that we saw an average Marine. He wasn't an ODST, he wasn't an augmented human, he was just a standard Marine using this really advanced suit. And I think Frankie said that, or or at least hinted, that we might be seeing what came of that project later in the Halo fiction. A wee side note here that I want to make is that uh, the description of the Mark Seven. Uh, they said that there was a new manufacturer, it was light, all that stuff. But one thing I, I, I think I noticed, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that they said it sounded motorized. Like the Molinear armor doesn't make a sound much when it's in use, being operated. Mm-hmm. But the, in, in Glasslands, there was a description of like servos or something that was mentioned. Yeah, I remember reading that as well. And at the time, I just kind of passed that off as Travis's interpretation of it. So... I don't know, I never really considered that as, as meaning something deeper. Well, people were talking about how could they turn around a Mark Seven so quickly, and it sounds sort of like it's it might be more advanced than the Mark Six, but more it's a different manufacturer and it's slightly different tech. So it might not actually be a super, super duper upgrade of over the Mark Six like the Mark V was over the Mark Four. Mm-hmm. And, and didn't they say something as well about um, receiving armor updates through some way of upgrading armor on the fly out in the battlefield or something like that? Yeah, it said it upgrades using nanotechnology. It upgrades while in cryo. Nanomachines! Yes, the solution to everything. Nanomachines. And it did specifically say while in cryo. And it, obviously that's that's a direct... <laughs> you know reference to master chief well but i i hope they aren't gonna explain that like master chief's new armor is because the nanobots cannibalized his cod piece in cryo his <laughs> <laughs> cod piece is still there i don't know why people keep saying this the c43 have pointed out the cod piece is still there it's just, just black the color of his crotch that was all the nanobots can also change the color yeah, spray painting nanomachines they can Oh, I think I think it was funny because um, I think Frankie on one of the forums, um, I think he made a little point of saying that machines can't really add to the suit. They were meant to make mm-hmm. little fixes. When I say little fixes, like shift material around, they, they they patch holes and scrapes and things like that. They couldn't add, say, a cannon on the Master Chief's arm or something ridiculous. Yeah. They can't just randomly add something 
significant to the armor. They they're, they made repairs. Well, it did say upgrades in the book. Yeah, but definitely not a a, a new yeah, feature like that. It, if they're if they're using glasslands uh, as the as a way of preparing us for nano machines upgrading the chief's armor significantly in Halo Four, I, I don't think I could buy that. Yeah, me either. I I mean I think. To a certain extent, it can be used, but for some of the more major changes, you have to have a little bit more story beyond that. If, if his HUD suddenly changes color in Halo 4, that was nanomachines, I could buy that. If you certainly suddenly have jetpacks or something, I'm not too sure. But uh, I think we'll leave the, um, the Halo 4 speculation primarily to another time. Right, one thing uh, I think Isaac was talking about earlier, you wanted want to bring it up. Isaac, can I bring it up now, the, uh, the elites? Yeah. Leading into Glasslands, you know, we, we knew that there was going to be a lot of elite society present in the book, because I think Travis or someone from 343 had stated that it would be in there. Um, and since the book's come out, there's kind of been a lot of differing opinions about how elite society was handled. So what do you guys well, think about that? Well, the humans that? have an expression. It goes something like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I want to I wanna defend that briefly as... This might just be reading too far into it, but when... Oh, go ahead. When they had the elites talking about the humans have an expression, I thought that was along the lines of, since I'm a Star Trek nerd, Nicholas Meyer's Star Trek 60 Undiscovered Country, where they have the Klingons... Well, they have, like, the Vulcan. Spock says the Vulcans have a proverb, only Nixon could go to China. The Klingons are quoting Shakespeare as their own. And his point... His point was that it's sort of a way of like talking about every society's changing this sort of thing, and I thought about that in the elite sense that there's lots of talk in the book about how the elites are talking. Well, we kind of have to be more devious, and it's sort of a contradiction with their proud warrior ways that they're taking weapons. And so, while I did think that the use of the oh, as the humans would say expression was kind of overdone, I can also kind of appreciate it as they're sort of being forced the elites are forced to becoming become humans to beat the humans essentially they're gonna have to work on being more like us i just find it funny that the the character that says as the humans would say expressions the character that says the most of those is the character that wants to kill the humans the most I find that kind of weird, but uh, you do you do actually have a very good point there. That um, one of the things the elites have to realize uh, is that after the covenant, who are the elites? I, I did find it interesting how the book examines the elites finding out how exactly boned they are without the infrastructure, the economic infrastructure of the covenant. Never mind the uh, the military infrastructure, but just just farming and and, and things like that. They, they, they just didn't think uh, that they'd ever need to go back to that independent lifestyle at all. So I, I, I do. I actually enjoyed that. Maybe in some cases it felt a little bit heavy-handed because it was the main thing about the elites was was facing up to that reality. So it did seem heavy-handed in place because every time the elites came up, there was okay. We have to get used to farming, and okay, we have to do this. Maybe we didn't get as far as I would have liked what the what the Sangeli would have done um, to prepare themselves more because they were still sort of shuffling around in the aftermath 
there's still power there's a power vacuum going on there's people struggling for control of the of, of the mind share of all the definitely they're they're not really unified in any sort of way and only is making sure they stay that way yeah and i mean actually i wanted to jd on the hbo forum he did a great review of glasslands overall but the he was talking about the world building and the Sanghili as the Spartan culture. It's sort of this Greek city-state kind of thing. Everyone's factionalizing and uh, how I mine for fish social syndrome where you basically, everything's broken down and it's sort of, it seems like everyone and most of the elites in the book realize, well, we got to do something about this, but they'd rather fight it out. And that's just an interesting, I'm kind of hoping... I was kind of bummed that we didn't we got to see the arbiter, but he we didn't get inside his head because he seems sort of like the person who realizes we gotta farm people, <laughs> and everyone else is more into well, I'd rather fight. Yeah, let's get the brutes to do it. <laughs> and how about the fact that some of the brutes were still serving the elites? I thought that that was kind of interesting. No, uh, I, I, I think there was a little, there was a little bit of a upset about that on the waypoint forums. Some people are like, oh, but the brutes they sided with, they sided against the elites, and the elites would have killed all the brutes, or the brutes would try to kill them and failed and died. And why are the brutes serving uh, the elites? But I, I actually think it makes sense because brutes they follow the pack, so whatever their pack leader would have decided for the pack, they would have just done. They just would, they would just follow the orders. Mm-hmm. So if certain chieftains decided to side with the elites, and then you do get the the fact that with the prophets not on the scene, you can I can I can fully understand that the the brutes would be completely hopeless. They they did pass a comment on on the general brute society being even being even more in a, being in a state even worse than the elites are with the small amount of brutes that would have been with the elites at the time. I can imagine the elites bossing them around and just taking charge. Yeah, and if you were for whatever reason, working on your sworn enemy's homeworld and then everything went to hell and you were trapped there, I mean, you would try and get along a little bit better than if you were had all your guys in the staggered formation standard line. Yeah, if someone, if in that sort of scenario, someone tells you, do some farming, you're going to do some damn farming, so you are. Even, even dumb apes will listen. You're going to get on that shovel and go to town. Actually, that brings that brings actually to another little point. Um, the covenant, as we know it, uh, we have the great schism. The covenant fell. It's in shambles. We've we focus on the elites and how they're attempting to rebuild and how only are interfering and how we have these two different factions vying for for control. And I I don't think we've seen the end of it. We haven't seen the conclusion to that storyline. There's there's more to go. That mysterious explosion at the end. That was a Pretty crappy cliffhanger, the end gone. But um, yeah. it's typical. It leaves you wanting more. You only know what, what happened. But I think there's a couple of questions that uh, it raises with the other species. Primarily, these questions: the engineers. The engineers have buggered off somewhere. No one knows where. The prophets. They've also mysteriously disappeared. Do you think these these two disappearances are linked? Do you think the prophets would have taken? The engineers, knowing how important they are, took them with them. I don't think there were enough prophets left alive at this point. <laughs> that weren't slaughtered. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every single one that was on a ship that was under elite control was pretty much killed. Then we know we know High Charity was destroyed, 
and High Charity was literally the only remaining homeworld of the San Shayum, as far as we know, because their original homeworld was destroyed by a supernova sun. I, I just don't think we've seen the end of them, but I don't think... Like, obviously, the majority of them and their whole... Their whole whatever was left of their of their peoples will be most of them will be eliminated through the course of events. The fact that we, we have these engineers disappearing. I think it might make sense to say that something was behind that, maybe. I think it has more to do with the forerunners and the the arc, like activating the entire Halo array or having it put into standby. I think that would have more to do with maybe a mass migration of the Huragok to some predetermined point to anticipate something yeah i mean it kind of to me it it has a vaguely so long and thanks for all the fish kind of thing going on like the huragak <laughs> they were engineered so for all we know they've got some little thing and says a line of code that says if you activate the halo array uh you guys should all go over here and etc <laughs> yeah I think it was definitely, it was their own motivation, in my opinion. That's how I see it. It wasn't, I don't think it was the Prophets. Okay. Uh, one more little thing here um, about Covenant Species. The most important question of all, the Grunts. Who is going to stop the Grunts from overbreeding themselves to death? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, if, they're, if they don't have the ships, though, I guess they can't spread that easily. <laughs> Yeah, they might overbreed, but they'll still be kind of isolated. Yeah, we're not going to have a galactic explosion of grunts everywhere. But the uh, whenever, whenever they've, they've established that the grunts aren't able to control themselves. They're, they're primary candidates. They're ideal members of the Covenant, so they were. They're easy to manipulate. And we've seen in Halo's fictional history that the grunts aren't able to fully regulate themselves. They need to be controlled, as it were. <laughs> and who's left to do that? Who's left to keep the grunts under control from, from breeding themselves to death? Well, honestly, I could definitely see the UNSC or Oni taking advantage of that and using the grunts you know, to fight for them, even. That would be really, really strange. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, in Halo 2, you fight alongside the grunts a little bit. If anyone's going to use the grunts it would probably be the elites but there's so many of them that's the thing that's just what you were saying if if they overbreed there would be enough for both sides to have you know armies of grunts so this is the great natural resource of the future of halo <laughs> <laughs> well i loved fighting alongside them in halo 2 i thought that was great well i mean that's that's the solution to all the Elite's energy problems. They just need to get grunts on treadmills. I thought you were going to say burn grunts. <laughs> Give me brave, you so and burn them. Whoa, that, that got dark. Uh, no, I wasn't thinking that. I mean, then you got like giant <laughs> methane emissions, and like that's going to be a pollution nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, here's one other thing about Glasslands that kind of. I, I guess I could say bugged me a little bit. Uh, we find out over the course of reading it that it actually takes place before the very end of Halo 3. Yeah. But the thing about that that bugs me the most is that Mendez and the other Spartans were standing right behind the camera at the ending of Halo 3. <laughs> You're talking about the Halo 3 final cutscene? 
Yeah, the memorial at Voy. So Mendes and all the characters from the book are right there. They're just slightly left to the camera. Yeah, if the camera just turned a little bit, maybe 90 degrees, would have been able to see them. I wouldn't be surprised if someone hacked that cutscene in Halo 3, moved the camera slightly, find out they're not there. That's a huge controversy waiting to happen. Well, that's that's going to be in Halo 3 anniversary. You're going <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah. If we were talking about my nitpicks, the kind of thing that bothered me was that we never got a POV. We got a lot of POVs and the different looks at all the different characters, but we never, as if I remember, we never actually get a POV inside Naomi's head. We actually get one with the black box, which is interesting just because he's kind of clinically going at it. But I just felt like that was a weakness that we are getting told a lot of the Spartans' feelings as opposed to being inside their head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think that fit in with the overall theme of the book because that wasn't about the Spartans at all. It was about the other people who get wrapped up in that, get wrapped up in the aftermath. Like every 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 major Halo book, apart from the exceptions, have focused mainly on the Spartans because they are the stars of the show. Well, Lucy was the one Spartan that did get a lot of attention. But that's the only mute character. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really enjoyed those sections of the book. I thought it was a great look inside the whole mentality of the Spartan threes. What do you mean? Well. Because we know that the Spartan 3s had a lot more psychological problems. And so getting inside the head of one of these characters that knows they have a lot of issues and is trying to work around that. I mean, I guess not even so much as a Spartan, but just as a, as a human being, you know, as a person. It's interesting to see how they view themselves or how she viewed herself and how she was constantly struggling, struggling internally. You always see Spartans going through these external struggles, but a lot, a lot of times you don't really think so much about what's going on internally. Mm. Right. To, uh, to round off our different areas here we're visiting with Glasslands, uh, I want to bring, bring it to something I, I actually I find the most interesting. Um, one of the things I love about Halo, uh, I love about other science fiction properties actually, is politics. Particularly how how we react whenever we leave the Earth. It's just like forming a new country, like America, for example. Whenever we split off from our from our motherland, things go smoothly for a while, but you always get tensions. There's always a vibe for independence, and uh, the insurrection has always been one of my favorite little things. Even the earlier insurrections, the, they have left little footnotes in the Halo Encyclopedia, and uh, the the actual the the main ins- the main interaction that that led to the, the Spartan 2 project, that, that was the defining moment of humanity, because it w- if it wasn't for the interaction, we wouldn't have survived the Covenant War. I think it's interesting that going out of Halo 3 uh, and Glasslands, I think it was towards the end they really brought it up, is that there's another there's another rebellion going on out there that the colonies we lost contact with, not not all of them fell to the Covenant. They, they, they suffered, they might have been glassed even. And they definitely fought. Whenever those colonies went silent, we we suddenly just forgot about them. We didn't go and investigate. And all of a sudden, now we have this this post Covenant War universe, and we're finding out there's still people out there, and they don't really like us anymore. The UNSC left them 
whenever they were most vulnerable, whenever they needed help most, they turned their backs. And we've we've had an example in Glasslands of one of the planets, even though it has very little to use, using that force and just basically telling the UNSC, get the heck out of here. And they're willing to kill over it. We do have another human insurrection right now going on in Halo. And like they made a big deal with uh, with Naomi. That one of the very one of only ends the twist of the novels that her father is now one of the insurrections big shots. And I, I, I hope that's it looks like it's going to be one of the, the focal points in the next books. Uh, if they're only followed along the same storylines that they started here, along with the um, the elite storyline, I'm really excited about that. I, like I said, the insurrection and insurrections movements and politics, one of my biggest things I'm really a big fan of. I'm glad now they've rather like reached shy away with it. They mentioned insurrection at Star Reach, so it might be the the rebels or whatever it wasn't. I'm glad we we finally have a another piece of Halo fiction dealing with this. And it's, I think it's really going to be big and it's really going to maybe set the tone, hopefully, for Halo 4 if I'm going to go overboard my expectations here. But what do you guys think? Do you, are you guys happy we're, we're going to be seeing humans fighting humans, at least in the fiction, over the next course of years? Well, I think when dealing with humanity in a science fiction setting, it's inevitable that they're going to be fighting amongst each other, regardless of of what you know fiction you have exploring it. But it's only really happened in the, in the fiction so far. That's that's something I think it's important to point out. The games, humans, aliens, humans, aliens, fight aliens, aliens, bad guys. It's only the fiction that we've had the chance to explore this. I'm honestly not as interested in the human versus human conflicts because, you know, we've got enough of that going on in reality right now for me. But at the same time, that helps to introduce a sense of reality into this science fiction setting. And... I, I like that. It's complicated. It's not as straightforward as as just humans versus aliens. And honestly, when, when Reach was coming out, I was hoping that there was going to be some, that it might even start out with you going to quell some insurrectionists, which, you know, it kind of does, but you never really fight anyone. And I think it, it would introduce a, a cool, different twist on Halo if at some point you actually have to fight humans and you could throw a lot of morality into the game that way and uh, there's a lot of cool ways to explore that in the setting of a game and i personally would love to see that i don't know if they'll follow through on that because halo has to appeal to the right audiences but well i mean no one complains in call of duty about having to kill people so i guess there's a market for it yeah but the younger kids shouldn't be playing those call of duty games and they obviously try to market Halo a little bit more towards younger people as well by giving it slightly toned down, you know, gore and whatnot. I I don't see I don't see Halo Four, for example. We're we're not going to be shooting humans in Halo Four. I, I don't think it's going to go in that direction. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if I've got allies, at some point they're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, not intentionally going across, going against humans, but I think I think that the the Glasslands has pointed out there's an opportunity now in Halo's fiction to explore the shitty side of humanity. Like Halsey is a brilliant example of of humanity being at its absolute worst in terms of behavior, but we haven't really seen the real side. You turn on the news today, what are you going to see? It's a pretty crap world out there. We kill each other. We can't stop killing each other. We're not going to stop tomorrow. 
We're not going to stop in the future either. And I think it's it's about time we brought that that side of our collective personalities to the forefront, at least to acknowledge it in a more direct fashion. Yeah. Because it, it the Spartan Project was a response to us killing each other. So what what will be what will be the future? Response in the Halo University, us killing each other. What what other fantastic method of death will we bring to combat ourselves in future? Well, I think that's definitely where I'm hoping Glasslands at least spend some time with. I mean, they've certainly set up the chess pieces for it. But I mean, once again, that's why I really liked Contact Harvest was it gave us an actual op. And we saw, yeah, this stuff got messy. And you can see why it went on so long and why it would flare up after we stopped having aliens to fight. And so, I mean, I really do want to... I'm not sure it fits in a game sense, but definitely as far as the future of Glasslands, I would love to see it. Mm. And speaking about the um, the new insurrection movement, I'm hesitant to call... I want to call it a new insurrections movement, but we, we don't really know how unified humanity is outside of the UNSC. We, we know they're there. We know we have survived in, in small numbers and, and different situations. And uh, I think it wasn't in evolutions Cole's fate was left indetermined at the end of his short story. And it implied that he could have went out to the colonies during the war. So you think that he might be leading the new insurrection? Wouldn't that be a fantastic twist? Do they need a charismatic leader? There we go. That would be amazing. One of the greatest military strategists as well, fighting against the UNSC. That would be a hell of a place to go. That never even occurred to me. That's, <laughs> that would be great. One other thing as well is that uh, there's a black market. Multi-species black markets for technology out there. Mm-hmm. We have nutcase humans trading nukes with jackals and and brutes and elites and stuff like what the heck is going on we have this exchange now we have technology we have we have weapons of mass destruction openly traded as a commodity with all these different factions and pirates and like we have to think about the consequences of that i think i think there's something i can't be more than just a footnote we have all these different species from the covenant war united together to buy death and exchange death I don't think that can be good for anyone, do you think? Nope. But I mean, it wouldn't be Halo if someone wasn't shooting someone else, so... I mean, I, I, would, I would totally be down with fighting against jackals and stuff who are running around with battle rifles. That would definitely be fun gameplay-wise, and I mean, I definitely would love... we sort of seen that before. Only really in Firefight, though. Yeah, it would, that's a good fictional excuse to put it in the campaign. be interesting, definitely. Maybe it would just be interesting to see that we have this other group Another another group of humanity out there that are allied with the various former covenant species. They have access to the this technology. They wouldn't they wouldn't be up to the same sort of technological level as the UNSC because they've been boosted by the forerunner technologies. But they would have access to the covenant technology in exchange and on these black markets. That could be a, that could be a formidable enemy. Mm-hmm. And again, but that. I don't think Halo 4 is going to go in that direction. It's, I, I, I know it's a, it's a little loose thread. I, I, I want to see where they're going with it. They, they wouldn't have put it out there for us to digest, knowing that we're really anticipating to see what's going to happen next. They wouldn't put something like, like that significant out there about, about meaning something or will mean something or will 
will produce something. Yeah, but I mean, that's the advantage of the novels has always been that they explore the stuff that the games couldn't. So, I mean, that's why I'm hopeful that Glasslands doesn't shoot off into another Halo installation necessarily. And I kind of want some of the home front stuff. Yeah, we don't, we don't need a, another Halo installation where we have a big giant brown ball of super technology we just randomly discovered. <laughs> so actually, I was hoping to with Glasslands, I was actually hoping that they wouldn't they wouldn't resolve the Onyx situation by having the entire Onyx complex at their disposal at the end. That uh, I don't know. Like I said, with, with Halo 4 on the horizon, why is the Chief going into a mysterious Forerunner installation whenever we have a pet one? But we still don't know what that installation is. It could be something far more interesting than the Shield World, even. Yeah, we don't, we don't need a, another Halo installation where we have a big, giant brown ball of super technology we just randomly discovered <laughs> well apparently it's a garage and it's got um it's got little yeah it's got little things <laughs> hospital. that pick your blood all the time <laughs> <laughs> don't the sentinels in um ghosts of onyx talk about the the plan with the swords and the shields i'm pretty sure it's, it's directly mentioned in some bit of halo fiction that the shield worlds were like bomb shelters? I think Halsey says it. Halsey or Mendez, maybe. That, that, that was part of the reasoning, that if this was a bomb shelter, what would you have in a bomb shelter? You would have hospitals, you would yeah. have medical facilities, you would have a, a garage. So I, th- I think it's safe to assume we know a lot of the purpose of the Shield World, maybe not all of it, but... One thing I thought was kind of funny, you discover a garage of four ships. And the only thing they take from the garage is the slip space drive technology, slip space technology from the engines. Would you not want to take the ships themselves and find out if they have weapons on them? That was kind of weird because they said, "Well, we got this garage, four hundred ships, and we put that technology for the slip space drive on the Infinity." I was like, "What about the weapons? What about some other cool four hundred tech on all these ships and stuff?" I was expecting more to come from. This mother of these are these ships. What kind of ships are they? Are they like delivery ships, milk ships. In Halo Wars, we had. Do you remember in Halo Wars we had the the facility there, which was kind of like Onyx, and in the center of it was was a garage, as it were, of warships yeah. of of Forerunner warships mm. that they were going to. Yeah, the the mo- some of the most powerful ships in Halo. Yeah. So far, like, how do we not know that one or two of those are parked in the garage and no one's checked that? Well, I mean, speaking of which, I mean, maybe it would they would appear in Halo 4, or maybe they'll appear in Glasslands. I kind of, I know Halo Wars is kind of not the most well-loved Halo game, but I mean, I, I would be, now that we know about the Flood, there's no canon reason why you can't have the Spirit of Fire come in from the cold. Because, I mean, that's the other thing they made. Uh, Nyland, Nyland wrote the uh, the companion materials for Halo Wars, right? Halo Wars Genesis? I mean, they made, they made it clear that um, Anders is not a big fan of Halsey either. And, I mean, there's just there's some stuff they could do. I think that since it's not an RTS, that they could, if they brought them into Glasslands 2 or whatever, you could get a lot of mileage out of the Halo Wars characters. I don't know. I think if they brought in the Halo Wars characters, it would rule out a Halo Wars 2 pretty swiftly. Wait, you think there's going to be a Halo Wars 2? Yeah. 
I think they've left it open. I think they've left the possibility of Halo Wars 2 open because it was a success. It made it must have made a profit. It could be done. They could announce it tomorrow, and I'm I'm pretty sure it would do very well as well. The the difference is very well for a console RTS is I mean Halo Wars sold above a million units, but that's nothing compared to the eight nine million that a Halo game is likely to pull out. And it also didn't require the same development resources as an average Halo game either, so it didn't cost that much. It wasn't budgeted that much. It didn't have the same marketing muscle as a as a proper Halo shooter. It wasn't it's a smaller pro it's a different project. And I think the Halo Wars proved there was there was room for itself. It did well. So I think Maybe they don't want to do it, but I think they're leaving the possibility open, and that means having those characters there, because if there's going to be a Halo Wars 2, you only pull as much from the first one as possible over to it. Yeah, well, it's kind of like it's either one or the other. Because if they, if they end up bringing the characters into the expanded fiction, you know, like you said, that's going to rule out an RTS, but then if they put them in an RTS, that's probably going to isolate them from everything else that's going on. I, I, just, just for the record... Halo Wars ending on a cliffhanger was fucking annoying. They wrapped it all up in the credits roll, and then they just happened to annoy me at the very end with that little sentence. Just saying, <laughs> come on, Halo Wars 2, one sentence, there you go, ha, bye. Yeah, it was kind of unnecessary. It was very unnecessary. But, <laughs> yeah, it, I kind of felt like they were almost trying to follow in the tradition of the other Halo games by throwing something in at the end. I mean, Halo 1 had Guilty Spark surviving. Halo 2 had Cortana and the Gravemind. Halo 3 obviously has the lead into Halo 4. Like, they were just kind of trying to follow in the footsteps of Bungie to make a successful Halo game. I mean, how much do you think they had planned out for the rest of the story? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think with the whole Halo War situation, I don't think we're going to see them in Glasslands to Glass Harder or anything. I don't think we're going to see that. I don't think Glasslands is, is was completely insulated from anything in Halo Wars, and I think that's going to continue. Well, I guess, like, the last the question left is what you guys really want to see in the future. We've kind of talked about that, but what in Glasslands 2, Glass Harder which I'm now going to refer to it in everything I do as that title. And Glasslands 3, what you guys want to see? Well, I think I've, I've made clear I want to see more of the, uh, the new insurrection. I'm, I'm really excited to see where they take that. They have, they have Naomi, the one of the main characters, wrapped up uh, more personally than, than the other characters in, in that storyline continuing. So I, I hope they will explore that to my satisfaction. Well, when is the next book supposed to be published? I, I mean, we don't have a date yet, right? So will it be before or after Halo 4? I hope before. I doubt it, though, at this point. At the end of next year, we have Primordium at the beginning of next year, which is in what, a few weeks' time, technically speaking. We have Primordium coming out. Unless they squeeze it out prior to Halo 4 coming out, and I don't, I don't see them playing a book out to compete with Halo 4. Maybe they might tie it in, because it would help boost sales. Like, Halo will be everywhere at the end of 2012. So mm -hmm. if they pump out a Halo book at that point, it would be perfect. It would just fly off the shelves, sort of thing. So I, I, marketing-wise, I think it might influence it to that sort of way, but I don't see it happening. I don't see it continuing until after Halo 4 is out. 
Yeah. Well, when they first announced the Glasslands book trilogy, it it was my impression that the whole trilogy was going to explain the events that took place after the end of Halo 3 and before Halo 4, but obviously there's not enough time for all three of those books to cover that. So the question for me is, you know, will the books continue on past the point of Halo 4? Will they run simultaneously to it, or will they still just go right up to before the game, even if the game's already out? Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of wondering that, and I just kind of... The thing I was kind of missing was some of the old... I mean, I'm not sure if the Arbiter's going to come in in Halo 4, but I'd love to see more about him. I loved. I wrote in my notes when I was reading that another title for Glasslands 2 could be Hood Strikes Back because it seems like he's getting kind of like tricked and they aren't paying much attention to him and I want to see Lord Hood kick some money ass. <laughs> okay guys, um, I think um, this is the end of uh, a nice little end point here for the second episode of Four on the Dawn podcast. I'd like to thank Dave, I'd like to thank Isaac for taking the time to sit down here and chat. Of course. Never an issue. Thanks to the listeners. If you guys out there have uh, any questions, suggestions, comments, or any feedback you'd like to give us, please, there's a comment section on the website. Uh, when this podcast is posted, you'll be able to leave any feedback there for us. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. Okay, guys, we'll see you later, and thank you for listening. <laughs>